Welcome to the Mere and Powerful Podcast, where we believe in going far by going together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Empowerful Podcast. Uh, we sit down recently with Chris Picard and Matt McDonald, uh, the two authors of an incredible book, At Glacier's End. Uh, but before we get into what we chatted about, I would love for all of you to check out the latest limited edition collection uh, that was inspired from a trip in September of 2019, uh, where, where our team uh, of Meerkats went over to Rwanda to experience a grant project uh, that we did with Kula. Uh, if you head over to mirror.com slash Rwanda, that's R-W-A-N-D-A, uh, you can see the collection. We have a 16-ounce wide mouth, a 12-ounce uh, travel tumbler, and a 12-ounce camp cup. The patterns are incredible, and they're inspired from the great work uh, and, the, and the weaving that some of these uh, entrepreneurs did in Rwanda. In addition to this, uh, our team, uh, we have an in-house uh, photographer and videographer uh, who are wildly talented, put together a 40-minute documentary on our team's experience over in Rwanda and it's incredible it's heartfelt uh, you may cry I cried uh, just the beauty of the country uh, the reconciliation that has happened in that country uh, and just the incredible entrepreneurs that we are helping support uh, with the work of Kula uh, through a washing station a coffee washing station uh, the video is amazing they did a couple safaris and the animals are beautiful as well so I would encourage you to set aside some time in an evening um, instead of heading over to Netflix head over to mirror.com slash Rwanda and check out the 40-minute documentary that our team put together. It is amazing. Again, it's amazing. Um, super proud of the team for that. But anyway, the conversation that I had with Chris Burkhardt and Matt McDonald uh, was wide-ranging. We chatted about their book, uh, which is essentially about uh, its a conservation piece, and it uh, basically explores how Iceland's uh, glacial rivers uh, were threatened by dams for aluminum production and, and the work that Matt and Chris were doing to help protect uh, the wild waters that is in Iceland. Um, you may be thinking that, what are two Americans doing over in Iceland? What is their business? I enjoy to uh, listen to this conversation and hear their perspective and how they went about uh, communicating their perspective of travels in Iceland. Uh, we talk about self-publishing, building relationships. Uh, Matt's and my relationship goes all the way back to 2010 uh, from a startup that he started uh, and cold called Mir. And, and we've had a lifelong uh, friendship climbing mountains together and really um, have become quite good friends. So uh, anyway... There's a great conversation about national parks, um, hashtag van life before the hashtag existed. Matt is an OG van lifer. Um, he doesn't claim that. I, I am telling you that he is the real deal. Um, on that, we talk about storytelling. Um, and obviously, Chris Picard's photos are incredible. So if you follow him on the grams, he has about 3.5 million followers, just a few followers. Um, he's highly influential in the outdoor and photography space. So we had the great honor of having both of them in our studio. And then we also had a um, event at Mir Flagship in Seattle uh, where they signed copies and had a conversation about their book. So without further ado, uh, please enjoy this conversation. Uh, we have some of my favorite people in the world in the mirror studio today. Uh, we go way back actually with, with both the, both these cats. We have mm -hmm. Chris Picard, who, uh, if you're on the grams, hopefully you know who he is. He photographs amazing landscapes all over the world. Uh, does cold surfing. Um, he like surfs ice caps. It's crazy. Um, and <laughs> photographs the ice caps. Um, we'll get more to that. We probably met, I don't know, five, six, we were talking about. Earlier, yeah, I was. I was just ago? thinking about that. I was like, man, we we met a while back. I feel like it was at maybe a trade show or or an event or something like yeah. that. And then quickly after that, I believe I was up here and uh, did a film screening at 
the mere right. flagship. It That's was right. for one of my earlier films, like the Pharaohs film. Yeah, or, it was the Pharaohs. Yeah, um, I was, who edited the Pharaohs? Um, ben Wyland. Ben, yeah, that's yeah, right, Ben. He was there, and it was just, it was rad. I, I remember you opening our door, your doors to us and just being like, wow, this is rad. And you guys had just opened the yeah. little flagship coffee right. shop workspace, and I was like, what a cool community space. We were, yeah. we were like pretty enchanted by the whole thing. So it was, it was rad, and now we keep in touch and yeah it's fun call upon you for favors and Heck and yeah, yeah <laughs> it's mutual <laughs> yeah yeah we're super grateful uh and we also have matt mcdonald here today and uh matt and i also go way back to like Indeed. 2010 2011 it's weird to say that as a decade ago i got <laughs> 10 years that's ago sick. a lot more gray hair oh man uh we'll get more into that because that's a funny story and then our worlds collide because all three of us uh all know each other and you yeah. both made an incredible book and we'll, we'll get into that on the uh on the show but man i'm s thanks thanks for popping in guys absolutely it's our uh, pleasure this is great yeah, yeah. We, we were actually on the road up here just chatting incessantly about how crazy it is that matt and i have so many mutual friends you know yourself peter deering from peak design yep. like um you know ben moon etc cetera, etc cetera. but we had never personally crossed paths but there was all these people in each other's lives that that know each other really well and like mutual friends and whatnot and, and it would only been a matter of time but we we connected via totally different terms and, and our, our working relationship has just kind of blossomed from, I think, you know, just the fact that like we, we have similar interests and, and it's funny how I just worlds collide like that. And I think yeah. it's kind of meant to be in some ways. So totally. it's always Fate, funny. destiny. Yeah. Good looking, good looking humans just connecting. Yeah. <laughs> how did, I'm curious, how did you, how did you two first meet? Did we take that one? Oh yeah. Yeah. Please. Yeah. I jump on it. So I was, uh, Gosh, long story. I was, I was, you know, doing the cliche thing, living in my van for a couple years. But you were uh, doing van life yeah. before it was a hashtag. Yeah, I don't want to claim that though, because <laughs> I'll sounds, claim, I'll claim it for yeah, you. Thank you. It just sounds so like <laughs> arrogant. But uh, and I stopped doing that because um, I, I met met a girl and I moved to Maui to try to date her, which was a big decision in my life. <laughs> She's not my wife, so that was a good decision. So that paid off. Yeah. Paid off. But. Uh, <laughs> I was sort of out of money when I when I moved out there and I needed to take <laughs> hey. a job in a little bit outside of my realm of what I was doing, which was similar to now, which was photography and storytelling and, and actually did some communications for a healthcare startup. And we reached out to Chris to see uh, if he could be an ambassador right. for us. And that was sort of the original communication. It, it didn't pan out, but um, several years later when I was back in the freelance world again, um, Chris came across a short film that I wrote for Corey Rich, who's a really well-known photographer filmmaker out of South Lake. He's done a lot of great work. Um, a lot of Yosemite work, big walls, climbing kind of stuff, just a l true legend. And uh, Chris asked who wrote the film, got in touch with me. And actually I went to his, uh, ended up being in uh, Central California and just yeah. made a visit to your house kind of randomly. Mm -hmm. Kind of hunted you down, actually. <laughs> I don't know so, if you remember. <laughs> were there llamas involved? There was <sighs> alpacas involved, yeah. yeah. It was messy. Yeah, and uh, he just mentioned this book that he had this body of work that he was uh, so stoked about. And I'd obviously seen a lot of these images and ended up, they were some of my favorite ones, these abstract landscapes, so different from a lot of his other work. And he needed a writer and we talked about uh, that being a possibility and it kind of just went from there. So, Yeah, it's kind of crazy because when Matt had first reached out, I, I had recognized you know, him via online and whatnot uh, from like Ben Moon's yeah, photographs because yeah. he was in some of his photographs. And I know... Uh, I think he had photographed him for some Patagonia stuff and, and they had a lot of mutual friends, like I said, and I just, I never put the two together that the, the person that I had chatted with at this healthcare company who was working on the marketing was the same person that I was now talking to 
who was the same person. I was like, it all came together. And I was like, oh, wait, you know, and you know, and you did. It was just like a funny thing. And, and you know, it's always weird when you sort of, It's it's been a really weird experience for me. And I'm sure you guys can both relate to like when you when you try to sort of relay your excitement and froth onto somebody else and be like, hey, I'm really excited about this thing. I've been working on it forever. It's everything to me. It's super meaningful. Can you be equally as excited and get, <laughs> and can I like, you know, exchange some of this? And, um, because I wanted somebody who was really passionate about, um, about Iceland and this and that to write the book. And it's sort of funny asking somebody who had never been there. So inevitably a trip for Matt followed and just this ultimately like incredible deep dive and passion for the people and the writing and the, in the, the economic structure and the history. And I just was like, holy cow, this guy's like going the distance, you know, because that's what it took. And I think for, you know, no, you know, not stroking my own work here really, but like for me to have the seven year body of work and then for Matt to like put these like basically two years behind it, obviously it kind of had to match up. And I think that's, what's so cool about our latest project or collaboration is that like the words finally, like they, they really marry this whole thing together. So it was cool to see his willingness to like, it's hard to find somebody who's willing to like deep dive like that, like really give a hundred percent into a project and not look back and trust that like this will all work out because as you know, you know, freelancing and you're like, yeah, cool, yeah. all my time is everything you have. So totally. Yeah. Well, and for you, Chris, I know that obviously an incredible photographer, you've leaned really into that cause you're amazing at it. And you've always kind of wanted that person to, to bring the, the words for it. And I remember you mm-hmm. being like, well, why don't you write it? And you're like, no, I got to find someone who's like an excellent, excellent writer. Yeah. We had talked about this yeah. a while back. Yeah. Like a couple years ago. We had talked about it yeah. via like doing a mere bottle collaboration yep. and, Right. Yeah, yeah, that's super funny. I totally because you texted me. You're like, "Hey, I'm working with Chris," and I was like, "No way! This is crazy." Um, and you've been, a, I mean, you've been a great writer. From so we hired Matt, gosh, five six years ago. So we used to climb Rainier for clean water. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, so we did it like three or four times, and Matt came along and documented it. Photo, you know, did this photo work, but also put words to it too. And then one of the trips that we went on was for my good friend Chris Rudolph, right. who had passed away in the Stevens Pass avalanche. Okay, wow. Um, so it's kind of a heavy trip because he was going to be on that trip, and then his girlfriend at the time ended up taking his spot. Wow. So it was kind of this climbing honor of Chris there, Chris, and and, and there was just um, Ryan. I mean, there was yep. like all these crazy connections that happened. It was a, a crazy story. Yeah, yeah, it was hard to put that. We actually ended up producing a short film for that one, oh. which was which was fun. Yeah. Uh, super fun, all shot on the trip um in that crazy environment but it was we've actually got lucky and summited and yeah yeah it, it, was, it was a, a special, real special time yeah um and that was i mean that was early, like i think 2013 2014 yep um and it was you know mirror was kind of 2013 14 was really a pivotal year for us as mm-hmm. far as accelerating and, and growth and whatnot but it was what's really fun is matt saw it from like 2010 2011 because matt was it you or jb that cold called us jb did one of my friends yeah yeah, I, it's it's like I was talking on the way over here when we got coffee. How it's I check in on you every couple of years, and it just seems like exponentially <laughs> growing. You know, right, right. This has got the flagship. Now I got this new office. Now the office isn't big enough. Now I got offices <laughs> all in, in overseas, and it's like it's been. I don't know. Just super proud of you, and you've you've just really stuck it out. And I know how much hard work and totally. Sweat and yeah, I mean, you, you yeah, JB, uh, one of our other good buddies, and Matt had a had a rad company called act boulder uh which is kind of like group on for good mm-hmm. um, yeah. right and so it was you know you get or- you earn these rewards and it's so funny because we we totally broke out and lo- read the email because jv was like pitching us on like joining their platform and then there was this connection about stanford because matt won't admit it but he's wicked smart and like swam it at stanford and 
uh, it was just worlds collided because uh, some of my family went there and then we hung out and right. in, in SF and just totally hit it off. And then, and then Matt was like, Hey, I'm going to head out and the, you know, startup pivoted. And Matt was like, I'm going to go out on my van life career with that before van life was <laughs> even a thing. Yeah. I don't think I'd even used Instagram at that point. Yeah. Like I had like one photo. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Super altruistic. <laughs> and then it's been amazing to see the worlds collide from from both you guys right. and um, see this work come together is is absolutely really it's inspiring it's encouraging um i think as they're like in this world of um like self-identity with instagram and mm -hmm. me and you know self-promotion that like you can also collaborate with other people um and i think that's i think that's really cool yeah i, th I would say that <clears throat> We're sort of entering into a phase too, where it, I, at least for me, I've, I've always been a big fan of collaborations. I think my first s projects really taught me that. Like you're you're really so much stronger together. And and I remember um, pushing forward with my my very first book and just having this this idea in my head that it was going to be like this, going to be like this. And you know, when we sat down with the designer and we sat down with the publisher and all these things, like I learned so much in that experience. And I feel like I've leaned heavily learn to lean heavily more upon people I can trust people that are creating amazing work and and not only to take the load off of yourself but just like if I I feel like trying to do everything well just never works like you're, you're gonna sacrifice somewhere and for totally. me to even attempt to write this yeah I could have written the book 100% yeah. it would have been terrible um, <laughs> but the reality is I, I think that at a certain point you realize like we're so much stronger together and some of our parts are just better and um, and that's really been a big eye opener. And I think that in the terms of just furthering career wise, it, it's it's a really powerful thing. And I'm hoping it seems in some ways like there's still a bit of that mentality from a lot of um, really talented people I see online that it's kind of like, you know, I'm going to trudge through this alone and blah, blah, blah. And I just I kind of gave up that I think some of its ego and some of its, um, you know, mixed with some other things. But I, I feel yeah. like early on, I was like, you know, I want to. I want to make projects that feel collaborative and, and, and where there's just a great synergy and you, you know, working with your friends is hard. I mean, that's the truth of the matter, but totally. you, you really learn a lot through that too. And sometimes you end up not friends afterwards yeah. <laughs> that, that happens too. Um, and I've had those things happen, but I think that the reality is like, you know, to, to do so and to, and when it works out, it's a brilliant thing. Like even Matt and I are actually, we just finished working on a really powerful little short film about a friend of mine and, and Matt's um, that's uh, that's going to be coming out next year. And, and that was like an incredibly um, kind of pivotal story where like my friend Ellie gave us this gift, told us his kind of deepest, darkest um, secret and sort of thing. And he, and we, we made a film about it and it was like, whoa, like, you know, all I want in the end is to like make this something that he's proud of. And I think there's something to be said for when you work on something where you care so much because um, you, you hear this advice like don't work with your friends right yeah, yeah, yeah. and so this is kind of what i'm getting to is like it's it's either like it can go absolutely the wrong way or it can be the best thing you ever do because totally. you care so much that no amount of sleepless nights no amount of hard work no amount of effort is going to make you stop from making it perfect and i think there's if you can get to that place where like you're willing to invest that time like you, it can be amazing totally yeah. that's kind of like working with your Significant other, your spouse. Yes. I yeah. can't imagine. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know my sidekick Beck is not here today. She's unfortunately sick. But That's people are like, how do you work together? <laughs> <laughs> That's a skill right there. Yeah, but it, but to that point, you know, with you know, working with your best friend or going kind of going to those deepest levels where there's so much passion for right. the brand and like making something work. There's sacrifice on both sides. Mm -hmm. Where you know you were you were asking earlier how we how we make it work, and it's you know she was in Africa for ten days and I'm holding down the fort, and then you know vice versa yeah. I go to Asia for ten days right. and. 
but you know the connection points that we have are, are pretty incredible i think um at least you know i don't know anything else so it it, it works for us but it takes That's a lot great. of effort it does yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what joy like oh, what a great so much thing fun. yeah yeah i mean you, you've been able to witness a little bit of it too climbing right here and, and hanging out with us for sure i've just always been amazed by your partnership and you know how clean your communication is and yeah it's just one of those things where even if all that's good just spending so much time around someone else can get hard no matter what no matter if everything yeah. else is perfect so it's just <laughs> It's great that you're able to to do that. Still, I have a lot of respect for that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. We, I'm I'm super bummed she's not here. I'm really she, bummed she's not here too. I know she'd ask better questions than she I would. She definitely so. would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, Winter will have to fill in the gaps here. <laughs> He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I want to get into the book. How did this, Chris? I know you've been going to Iceland for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did the how did the idea come about to to actually produce a physical book? It's, yeah. So the 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 sort of catalyst for the whole thing was I I was asked. Um, by a friend of mine, Stainard, who uh, I used to work with at a, a nonprofit called Hallandid, which is basically means Highlands, the Highlands in Iceland. It was a nonprofit organization that, that embarked on trying to advocate for a national park in Iceland to basically protect its high plateau region, um, where the, the origin of all the rivers is, where the glaciers are, um, from extractive industries. Um, and Matt will probably you know be able to shine a light on this a bit more. But basically, I came in and was like, Holy crap. Okay, so I'm going to go speak at this environmental ministry conference for the, you know, Minister of the Environment at Iceland, yeah. in Iceland, uh, with, like, all of these, you know, key political players and um, and try to give them an address as to why, from what I would say maybe would be, like, the tourist perspective, this is valuable. Because, basically, um, they were trying to bring different perspectives. They brought in a superintendent from an, a national park in the U.S. They brought in somebody from Scotland. Um, who kind of did the same thing and then myself and it was basically like we were all giving different talking points about the importance of these things and how they benefit and why they you know this and that so and they already this is something they want but it's what they're trying to do is kind of bring in alternate voices to be like hey you guys this is the world's perspective and they've always been really um excited about hearing outsiders perspectives wow. on why these are powerful yeah. so i that's gave, crazy it's crazy and like, I, I'm, but <laughs> i don't I, know any country who's ever done that it's psychotic <laughs> and honestly i was just like i'm just a photographer trying to take pretty pictures and and you know that's really why this work started was i saw a river out of a plane window and i was like i really want to know more about this, this is so beautiful and then all of a sudden over the course of again seven years i learned about the issues facing these rivers learned about um what I could do to help, which was basically just to advocate for them, talk about it, share it, sign petitions, exact, et cetera, et cetera. But once this happened, when this um, actual conference happened, I kind of realized in that moment, I was like, well, I need to do something that sort of stands as a testament to this project. I think it will be something they appreciate. I think it'll be all of the emotions and words and things that I put into this presentation really into something comprehensive. And this is absolutely, I'll, you know, I've done a lot of um, work for nonprofits and, and um, social justice and this and that through just like supporting and donations and blah, blah, blah over the yeah. years. But this is the first like actual body of work that I would say is completely advocating for um, the environment. Yeah. And it's been kind of a mind blower because it's super scary. And you don't really know if people care until you put it out there. And Matt and I have just been kind of blown away by the reception. So that was really the catalyst was like that um, that conference and speaking there. That's incredible. Yeah. Going back quickly because you you reacted to the, the Icelanders <laughs> being so open. We've been talking about this is our uh, eighth night on the road now. No, I think it's more because we've done ninth? We've done eight at least eight 
events and we've yeah. done nine days san diego to yeah. seattle now we're here um but it's uh started from the bottom yeah, now we're here yeah exactly Save the best for last <laughs> yeah but we've been talking honestly been <laughs> truly though we were kind of we were just talking here we like this is the sickest place <laughs> yeah the mirror flagship is definitely appreciate it it's appreciate an amazing it. amazing place but that just kind of blew me away kind of coming into this maybe a little more fresh than chris and like you mentioned going to iceland for the first time last year for a couple of weeks to sort of understand the culture and the landscape and talk to locals and all that stuff is how incredibly welcoming they are and just a, a very like egoless people is kind of how i think yeah. about it um i obviously read a ton of books to write this book and um one of the most famous authors over there his name's andre magnuson you know i really wanted to meet with him while i was there just to kind of sure ask those deeper questions <laughs> that came from reading his books and so I was like, you know, I'm just going to email him and this probably isn't going to land, right? Like just one of those cold emails that most people never respond to. And like 15 minutes later, he's like, hey, I'll meet you for lunch on Thursday. Meet me <laughs> here, right? And it's it's, it's so that type rad. of thing that that access and that openness to other countries uh, and their ideas uh, is super refreshing um, in this era, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah, just I wanted to mention that because you, you kind of reacted like, whoa, they listen and they really do. I can't what, imagine any project in the U.S. where you're like, let's ask others what they think about this. Right. right yeah. <laughs> or like, let's ask the outsiders opinions. But I, I think the the ultimate thing and one of the main messages that Matt really touches on in this book is that it's it's kind of more black and white than I think people realize. It's sort of like extractive industries or tourism. Yeah. And I think that both have absolutely um, can have devastating effects, but one far outweighs the other. One is basically like, wilderness for um you know potentially managed really well for the future and and a lot more money coming in and yada yada and, and the other was like basically destruction of wilderness forever so right the the kind of the, the beauty to me in that in sharing that work that really was like the eye-opener was that i was i was standing up there sharing this this at this conference and i was showing them photographs that many of them had never seen that had they had no idea and you you would think wow. um I mean, you got you to keep in mind, like, there's 350,000 people in Iceland. It's an amazing country. People are very proud of nature and their heritage and this and that. But 70% uh, or more of the population does live in the major city. And, and I think that, um, you know, a lot of the average tourists that go there see quite a bit of the country. And so to, to share a body of work that maybe most people didn't quite know was, was there or the beauty therein yeah. was just, like, really powerful and felt like, oh, my gosh, this could um, this could help maybe – help them with their movement you know again this is not like a something where it's like all about you know white savior complex me and matter here we worked hand in hand with the government right, we got right. their blessing matt was like super on it to like basically put this in front of all of the the most badass like you know environmental writers there and, Just and everything couldn't have felt yeah. right about ourselves without doing that yeah stuff, right? and that's I mean, yeah 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 do when you guys create work do you do you ever create um view it from how somebody on the other side like what their points would be so that you understand your counterpoints you know what i mean like like when we're developing a product i'm like okay who's going to be the naysayer what are they going to say what are right. they not going to like about this and not that i'm going to cater to that but to at least understand how like you know someone's going to position against something i'm constantly thinking about that i mean i think that's it's a little different for photography, but maybe not so much because you obviously have a, of a huge point of view, Chris, with your work. But <laughs> sometimes too much. But like, I think for me, it's it's uh, you know growing up in the Midwest and then you know moving out west. Like I, I have I have family and friends from like completely opposite sides of the spectrum, and yeah. I've gathered ideas and beliefs from both sides. I don't 
you know, subscribe to any one thing. I make my decisions, try to make them independently based yeah. on all the experiences I've had rather than, you know, dogmatic stuff. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the environmental message in this book, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's obviously, uh, could be divisive, but definitely like in the, so it's five, five, about five or it's five chapters. And really only one of them kind of dives super heavy into the environmental causes in the, the Highlands Park. The rest of it's like a travelogue history mm -hmm. culture. It's like a mix of this sort of like storytelling of how this even came to be a problem, which you really need a lot of background information mm -hmm. for. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're, you know, one thing that Icelanders are doing, which I think is really neat is they're, they're really considering all groups um, and constituencies in this process. It's not a hard, hard line of, we for sure can't build another dam within a national park. They obviously want to protect them, but they're mm -hmm. not coming outright and saying, we can't do this necessarily. They're not saying you can't still have sheep in the highlands. They're not saying you can't hunt, that you maybe can't drive a mm -hmm. four-wheel drive. They're trying to keep their culture yeah. intact while essentially protecting this area. And so that was one thing that was really interesting to me is I think in the United States, we think of protected land as like off limits almost. Yeah. Mm. Compromise for them is everything. Right. Yeah. And so it's been really refreshing working on that. And I think that hopefully the way that we approach it in the book lends you know, lends a voice to both sides and saying, hey, look, it's it's reasonable for these people to want to keep their heritage of of off wheel of off road driving, even if I don't necessarily agree with that. Right. Right. But if that gets this this park to be passed through parliament, mm -hmm. um, that's a good thing for everyone, because yeah. that'll mean fewer, fewer dams. And that'll mean the photographs in this book will actually yeah. live on as opposed to being dried up or different totally. colors and, or and the book isn't even about dams being bad in general you know right. it's 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 more about like the basically long-term effects of how of of the fact that there could be a better way meaning that you know tourism could be a, a, an opportunity for them to basically have a better export import sort of right. scenario so and it's it's a challenge because you know you see this in the u.s it's like us going to a reservation and being like oh you guys shouldn't build that power plant I mean, we did it 30 years ago, but we realized it was a bad idea. So you got, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like they need income. That's yeah, just how right. countries survive. We right. can't just, they're not going to just go pick their food off the ground. You know, it doesn't grow there. So, right, right. Um, yeah. Well, even in our, in our current kind of environmental climate with public lands, you know, you, mm -hmm. you saw um, a lot of people who might not normally kind of partner up. You saw a lot of hunters, anglers yep. also partnering with environmentalists, mm -hmm. hikers, climbers, to save these places coming from very different point of views and perspectives. Right. right. Um, Absolutely. Which is kind of fascinating. I think it kind of opened the eyes for at least when we were working with Patagonia on some of the stuff in DC, you know, people looking at, you know, hunters as they're like, Oh wow, that this is a lot of people that care about wildlife. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I really hope to see in the next, you know, 30, 40 years, a lot more bridges created between those communities instead of walls being built between them. Because yeah. I think that's kind of the divisiveness of, of our, political regime is like you know it's a hard no for me or it's a hard yes and just the the opportunity for us to kind of figure out ways to find common ground like what a beautiful thing that's what that's what humans are, i think we're built to do so totally totally yeah. i think it might be helpful to have a little background just about this we keep talking about this conversation between extractive industries and tourism just yeah, a yeah. tiny little background on yeah. what's actually going on mm -hmm. in iceland so. yeah it was like what is the current status right yeah, now? yeah so um it's it's really interesting icelanders history kind of it, all of our history kind of dictates these little decisions and ways that things end up it dictates our culture and it kind of you don't think about this stuff but all these little decisions that were made before we were born like ultimately like determine where a country ends up and how we interpret mm -hmm. the world and icelanders have this really interesting history in the sense that they came over in about 850 and were independent until about 1250 and then were actually colonized by um 
Scandinavian countries until the end of World War II, 19, 1944, Denmark, right? Yeah. Okay. And so at that point, they're on the world stage. They want to compete in this sort of modern era, but they've never really had an economy in the sense. They've, they lived off the land. They're farmers and, and fishermen, fisherwomen, hmm. women. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> And so all of a sudden they need to have an economy. And so they looked at, they saw the, they had these massive glaciers that are melting, these powerful rivers, and they decided th that energy was going to be their next big, yeah. their next big thing. There was even like a slogan back in the six, seventies, eighties was like uh, cheapest energy in the world, basically right. sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it basically took off. Like they were, they started, uh, it turns out aluminum is extremely energy intensive to produce. We all use it. Uh, it's part of our daily lives. It has to be made somewhere. And a lot of that actually is made in Iceland and then mm -hmm. shipped back to the United States or other parts of the world. And in, in, in actually in 2008, the largest dam in Europe was created for the sole purpose of producing aluminum yeah. um, in Eastern Iceland. And so that basically caused this huge backlash, um, environmental backlash where people were like, oh my gosh, like all of these rivers are threatened now. Like every single yeah. one of them, there aren't that many rivers, major rivers in Iceland. And uh, fortunately, there was a massive volcano eruption in 2010, mm -hmm. which stranded 50% of worldwide air traffic and sort of was this right. this Super yeah. Bowl-sized, they, they call it the Super, Soul, Super Bowl-sized advertisement for, for Iceland. And that's when tourism really exploded. And so when we're talking about this trade-off between extraction and tourism, that's why this is, mm -hmm. that's why this is going on. And, and we'll talk more about it later, I'm sure. But the Icelanders very much prefer to build their economy, their sustainable long-term economy on tourism rather than damming. They do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. The, um, uh, what role does Instagram play in Iceland? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been a it's been an amazing tool, but it's also been a really detrimental tool. And I think one of the, you know, and, and I'm saying this from somebody who has absolutely been a part of that, you know, positivity and negativity in both ways, um, just having been there so many times, obviously. And. I think one of the hard things early on is you never really quite realize the effects that um, a photograph will play in this in the role of, of these things. But I think Instagram anywhere, it's a challenging thing because I think one of the the issues I see is not that there's anything wrong with sharing an image or sharing your story or anything. Like that's the best thing we could ever do. I think it's super powerful. It's what inspires us and motivates us and changes our perspective on things. It's amazing. It's, I think one of the challenging things is when people go somewhere and they base the experience of their trip or the perspective experience of their trip on the fact of, oh, well, if I don't see this photo that I saw or if I don't see this photo that I saw on this, I mean, it's not just Instagram. This is media in general, right? right. Books, films, the advertisement on the airplane, the photograph you saw. I would say that Instagram is the smallest fish in that <laughs> pond because yeah. the truth of the matter is that there's a lot of people that go there and, and the, the biggest issue is that they are traveling to a six-hour stretch of coast. There is a six-hour literally fire red hot bed of activity that's happening and that is a marketing problem not an instagram problem not a tourism problem it's a huge country it could absolutely consume way more tourists they would love mm -hmm. that but they need to spread the wealth and that's really the main message of this book and what I, my message was at the conference was that I took a lot of examples of Denali National Park and I talked about park management and Yosemite and how, I mean, there's, we have parks in the U.S. that have more visitors a month than they do in a year, you know? I mean, that's probably an unrealistic stat, but basically something along those lines and they're sustainable. The issue for them is that tourism grew too fast and you have major airlines, you have advertisements, you have bus lines that take people to these areas. So super impacted, that's the issue. And I think that from 
to get back to my main point, which was that our perspective when going anywhere, this isn't just Iceland, this is yeah. anywhere in the world, is that we, we go to places with the expectation that, that my trip is going to be unsuccessful unless I tick these things off my list. Right, or get you this know, photo or get this selfie. Yeah, or. and that's, that's the issue. It's like we used to talk about driving down dirt roads with nostalgia and like what we found down there. And nowadays we just say it because it sounds cool. It's not, yeah, it's yeah. a problem. Like my best experience is traveling anywhere. Like I remember going to the Faroe Islands seven years ago and um, a little bit before their, their micro tourism boom and, and we would just pick islands. And a lot of it was because we were searching for waves when I was right. shooting editorial. So it was like, this looks exposed to swell. Let's go there. You'd go there and be like, there's a waterfall falling on the beach and you know, this and that. It was just really cool. It was raw exploration. You had very little to know anything about it. My greatest trips have been by using Google Earth to look for specks of white water that might yeah. be a wave somewhere. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get there and you're like, this sucks <laughs> or this is amazing. Like, And that's so rewarding. And I just, I, it's it, this kind of, you know, sort of, I guess, sandwiches together with that whole concept of like geotagging and this and that. And it's, that's a whole nother argument, a whole nother podcast for another day. But I think there's something to be said about taking away the mystery of the experience for people to go find places. Right. Like, and to, and the joy that you find in, you know, stopping here and getting that piece of local knowledge and then right. going here. And we all have those stories. And I, I try to urge people, you'll, you'll hear at our slideshow tonight is that like, man, the best experience I've ever had have always been based upon relationships with local people. Those relationships takes time to invest in. Those relationships take energy and effort. And that's the beauty of like having a real experience is that all those things that happen, the getting stuck, the getting lost, the not knowing where you're going, the spending the night in your car, the eating crappy gas station food, the asking the <laughs> local grandma, that's the good shit. That's the yeah, stuff that yeah. makes it so good and worth it. And I just, I hate to see people lose that because they had a checklist and they had to go check For these sure. things off, you know? For sure. Yeah, they're trying to check that next box. Yeah. I got a quick comment on the um, on that that question, which was, you know, so when I went over there, I I was actually really concerned because about the amount of people that I was going to see. I don't really like hanging out with people on vacation and uh, try to get off the beaten path. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. <laughs> um, so I was nervous because you get this perception, um, yeah, on social media or in general that Iceland is, is pretty blown out. And the reality is everyone's just going to the same couple spots, mm. right? And as soon as you, for those of you that haven't been there, I'm kind of making a little bit of a plug because they actually want you to come visit, but it's not what you're seeing. It's on, not just online. the blown up plane on the beach no, that it's not. Bieber danced on or whatever. <laughs> I took him there, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, No, it, it, it's totally not. Like I'm not saying it's no, crazy. I mean, you, you go down any dirt road, there's no one around. Like insane glacial canyons. The snout comes right down to the lake. There's icebergs oh, floating. You have it to yourself. Insane. It it's unbelievable and there's there's these little guest houses everywhere you could never you could spend a year there and not even get close to exploring like all the dirt roads and little little yeah. towns and fjords and anyway the point is is it's an amazing you know part of yeah. the world and I, one of the things i've been trying to you know think about in the during this project is like why are we working on a project in iceland when there's so many problems at home right and yeah i feel it, it's a challenge for me too it feels a little disingenuous but but we know it's important so yeah, I just kind of try to think about, you know, we're we're all really citizens of the world ultimately. Like we should care about what's happening in Iceland Absolutely. and and it's a real microcosm of what's happening everywhere and there's right now there's something that can actually be done there that's mm -hmm. attainable. It's not this sort of nebulous like, oh, we should save public land. It's like there is a thing happening, there's going to be a vote on it by next right. year. Right. So it's felt really good thinking about it that way and also just really understanding having been there. I've traveled a lot, not as much as you, Chris, but 
you know, I've, I've never been anywhere that has that tango of glacier mm. and volcano. It's an incredibly rare landscape and yeah, it's except for Hawaii, which, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but no glaciers. So, yeah. Yeah, no, no glaciers. glaciers. Right. No, yeah. I mean, in glaciers, as we know, create yeah. the stuff in exactly. this book, right? Yeah. So it's a crazy thing to think about. You know, I love the, I love the idea that this has in my eyes helped me understand even better just how I want to treat my national parks that are near my house, my state parks or anything yeah. like that. And I've, I've, I, you know, these conversations, these arguments for the, the crowds and this, they're everywhere. And the beauty is like, it's ease of access. That is our humans. Number one detriment. It's ease of access. The fact that why would we take that extra step or that extra mile or that extra 10 miles or when we could just see it right here from the ease of our car. And that's, that's what it is. And every time I go to Yosemite, you know, I'll share these photos or videos. People are like, man, where are the crowds? I'm like, well, I'm 20 miles off the trail. Like, you know, where I'm, or <laughs> I haven't deep, eaten in days. Yeah. yeah. I, or I'm, and I mean, last time I was there, I went to this place called the grand Canyon of the Tuolumne and I'll give, I'll give you guys, I'll buy you guys dinner. If either of you have heard of it or been there, but it is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. I swear to you, it's like walking through three Yosemite valleys stacked on top of each other it's just you you could never access it because it's a huge gorge that basically loops around the backside of Yosemite, goes by. You can actually see, um, what's that, Hetch Hetchy from it. Unreal. I mean, huge monoliths of rock, just gorgeous, but just the way it's shaped and the way, the way it, there's like cascading waterfalls, incredible. But it's a big, proper hike to go see it. And mm-hmm. we saw maybe 10 people the entire couple days. Wow. Like, and just wild. I mean, and you know, think about up here in the cascades and everything so i think it's just that it's hard it's ease of access you know yeah it's a challenging sure. thing yeah i feel like that's so true in, in many things you know whether it's you know a hike photography business mm-hmm. right cabins whatever it is you know, kind of getting <laughs> off the beaten path there's there's so much reward there by going that extra distance mm-hmm. right for sure for sure man th- i feel like this was kind of um destined for you matt being that it's iceland is an island and you moved to the islands it's strange how many how many you know, easy comparisons there are to, I live in, I live in Maui for, could we even mention that to, yeah. to what's going on in Hawaii and similar problems with, or challenges with tourism and how to make it sustainable and how to make it more spread out and all that stuff. But yeah, I've also just always been super drawn to the Northern latitudes. I don't, I don't really know why, just maybe because like my beard grows up to my eyes, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's, these landscapes that have these glaciers just they've always spoken to me in a different way there's something living about a glacier that is so different from any other landscape unless it's i mean volcanics obviously i mean they're just so alive there's so much Mm -hmm. movement and um just stuff that you can actually see in like the geological time frame of our lifetime which Mm -hmm. is which is really rare like you can't see a tree grow if Mm -hmm. you're lucky you might see one fall yeah you know but you can see glaciers move Fortunately, most of them are going backwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can see volcanoes erupt and all that's happening in this one landscape and it's incredibly special. Mm-hmm. So when you were there, have you seen any volcanoes erupt during your time? I have, yeah. Um, I, I've, I've been traveling there during both of the volcanic eruptions. I've been there when they've been erupting, but, I, but one of them was in the middle of the island, so I didn't like actually go to it. Um, but you could see the ash in the air and you could see the effects of it and everything like that. And, uh, Yoko, which is a terrible pronunciation, but that was one of the, the big one, the first right. one. And then there was another one, which was more of a fissure in the interior of the country, but such a, just amazing, the fact that it's like growing, you know, and what I've always liked is again, chasing waves. We're usually looking at reefs and reefs mm. are often the most, um, 
freshly created part of the island. So right. certain parts of the island, you'll have a reef that's like old and covered in seaweed and like the rock is smoothed over. And then certain parts where it's literally razor sharp and terrifying. And that's like Hawaii, you know, there's raw, yeah. raw lava rock. Yeah. Big, big yeah. island, right? That's the one where it's right. like raw lava rock. Like you touch it, it slices you open. Yeah. yeah the and last eruption, entire bay got filled in like wow. one of their most pristine bays on the east in, side. Yeah. Yeah. It yes. got filled. It's, it's, it's gone. Crazy. It's like just fully land now. It's wild. But it's crazy because that is kind of what shapes the reef. Like you take all that right. sand, that sand breaks down all the lava rock and then it smooths it out. And then in, you know, hundred, 200 years, there might be all of a sudden great waves. I mean, right. thinking selfishly here, but I think <laughs> yeah. that's just like a cool, it's it, the evolution and the geology of these places is I'm completely just enamored with the idea of, of large vertical relief where mountains meet the sea. It's mm -hmm. like all I care about. Yeah. I love places like that where the, the drama of the landscape is very real. You know, it just dwarfs you. Yeah, right. I mean, I think we all relate to that you know so and there yeah. seems to be more of that at the extremes yeah, yeah yeah for sure absolutely yeah alaska Kareli, really like the ring of fire you know yeah. you, you all the way from southern patagonia up to alaska down to japan and whatnot and one yeah, cool so. thing about iceland regarding sort of uh volcan volcanism is if you pull out a paper map i still travel with paper map yes. <laughs> it just helps me get perspective uh the the symbols for geysers and and hot springs are way more prevalent than any towns. Like there's so many more and you could make a whole trip just out of hunting I've for, done ho it. for hot springs. Yeah, I found some, I found <laughs> some good so, ones too. So but, in. but it's cool because all the <laughs> towns are, all yeah, the towns are, are, uh, are powered geothermally. Yeah, geothermal. Right. Right. The roads so. are too. That's why they always stay dry and stay dry. And really sick. Yeah. And there's pipe hot water into the roads basically. It's in a very alive landscape. Wow. That's incredible. Put it simply. Your, uh, your Tobo map reminded me, we were talking about, um, I was reminiscing about backpacking in Idaho because I grew up in Idaho. And what we part? Would, uh, Boise. Oh, cool. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, we'd always go up into like Sawtooth and uh, yeah, Frank Church nice. Wilderness. and Sawtooth look insane. Yeah, like, they're awesome. Yeah. Really cool range. And we'd it's always remote. have Tobo maps. We'd yeah. go and like buy a to like an actual map. And uh, someone on our staff the other day, we were talking about like, you know, reading the topography lines and they were like, what's a Topo map? And I was like, oh man. Do they call you a boomer? Yeah. That? yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's when you know you're getting close to 40, Brian. Yeah, I was like, wow. I'm dating myself, Topo maps. Yeah. All right, yeah. topography. So I appreciate that you still use a Topo map. Yeah. It just helps my brain. I don't know. That's how I think. Got to see the whole, got to see the whole thing laid out in front of me. Uh, that's, I love that though. My, my first trip uh, there, I, I bought one of those like road atlases. Yeah. Like where it's like, there's a big map, but then every page, page. is like a really yeah, tight yeah, section. Like A44. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I started making like a, my own surf guide. Be like this wave, blah, blah, blah. And like notes like Northwest Swell, this wind, this type yes. of reef. And I still have that. And it's, yes. it's now it's defunct because you have Google Maps and you can like, you can do all that there. But I'm, I like, still like kind of there's just some nostalgia about that and totally yeah. well it's kind of, i mean it's kind of like the book right i mean there's right. this this physical manifestation of your of your work mm -hmm. it, yeah. it's very different than just like thumb scrolling through the grams you know right it's yeah. uh it's like concrete and I f i'm excited because i feel like there's still very much a place for physical things obviously being oh a my, like a consumer yeah. you know a product company i love physical things you know, we were talking about that earlier oh man it's it's something really special about just tangible i mean for any creative person out there you know who might hear this i would i would urge them to like make something tangible you will never regret it even just what it teaches you about your own work and how you how you curate it and what you maybe missed what you didn't shoot enough of what, what like it's just such a great process even for 
I'm sure you, Matt, like the words too, like the way they fall on the page. That was what teaches you about it too. You're like, oh man, well, this is too long. Or even like the back page, like that has to fit. Right. Like it's not just the text. 87 words. It's the text. It had to be exact. Yeah. Yeah. And how it fits with the photo and how it fits with the typography and how it fits with the spacing. And so it's this beautiful like Jenga puzzle, you know, that, that has to fit together. Well, I was blown away the first time I actually had one of the book in my hands, just seeing details in Chris's photos that I never noticed before that you wouldn't see on even a nice monitor, right? Mm-hmm. A huge monitor. Yeah, yeah. Didn't totally. see it on that. I see people, I see birds, I see these different patterns that come off with a slightly richer color, a little right. bit more brightness. And just even the way that the text is laid out. I mean, we had fantastic designers, mm-hmm. um, Tom Adler and Evan, Evan Backus, yeah, yeah. Um, that really helped us push us over the finish line. But even the, t- the words just look so much better than the, in, in the in the paper than on a computer yeah, screen. You can't yeah. do it justice on the computer. Even the smell. I mean, that's, you know, I, I'm I obsessed farted, with it. Yeah. I farted when I got this. <laughs> even Scratch, the, even the smell of paper, you know, <laughs> scratch and sniff books. You open it up, there's like black sand just pours on your desk. Yeah. You're like, cool. It's all cold. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what Chris talk a little bit about the process of actually publishing a book. I mean, to me, that sounds very yeah. daunting. No, um, for sure. I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'd love to chat about this yeah. is one of my, I think it's a, a really, um, important thing for people to kind of consider is that there are a multitude of ways to, to publish something. One of them being with obviously a large publisher, which is, um, a pretty streamlined process. Actually, it's less scary than you think you, you need a good idea. And when you, you bring that good idea to the table, that's where it really it comes to life and is born. And I think one of the, the problems a lot of young hopeful authors um, face is that they, they come to the table with like, well, I want to do this book and it's about this and this and this and this and this. And as you know, like with any product or any public presentation or speech, like a thesis, you need one central idea. Mm-hmm. And with this book, it's all about one central idea. With my other books, it's been about one central idea, whether it's like a road trip of the California coast or, um, or a children's book about, you know, so, when you're working with a publisher, they, they want the focus. They yeah. want a book that fits in this one guideline and goes here because that's who the consumer is going to be. And they, they've understand, understood these consumers and done run charts and graphs and everything. So with this book, we decided to self-publish um, for a couple reasons. And, and now I want to explain that um, as detailed as I can. But basically, a big part of it is when you go with a bigger publisher, yeah, they're going to pay for the book. Yeah, they're going to distribute the book. Yeah, they're going to market the book. But there's going to be a lot of exceptions within that process, or there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to have to kind of concede on, that being who your designer is, maybe who writes it, the the, the size of the book, the page right. count. This was something that Matt and I didn't want to make any sacrifices on. We mm-hmm. wanted it to be exactly how we wanted it. Plus, I felt confident making the investment to get it out there. And and what I mean by that is that there is no difference between a major publisher, a Rizzoli and Abrams or whatever, and yourself publishing in terms of like, they're going to get it the same price you are. They're just going to put a lot more money down to get it cheaper. Like there's no red phone to, to, to Asia. That's like, we need a thousand books. You know, it's, it's basically, it's like they, you know, you can make those same calls. You yeah. can make that same connection. You can get your books for five bucks a copy or four bucks a copy or, when they're doing a big print run of, you know, a uh, hundred thousand books, like those bigger publishers are getting them for like a dollar a copy. Right. right? right. So for us, we printed 5,000 copies. We wanted to do it at a premium, like paper stock. I use a designer that I, I trusted Tom Adler. 
he was probably he'd probably be more pricey than most publishers would have gone with. I wanted Matt to write the text. Um, if he cost a ton of money. Matt was super expensive. No, um, <laughs> it was basically like they would have potentially suggested other authors unless if I didn't already have him right, in the right. project. So that's really what it was, and it's it's easy. It's like I brought all these people together, and you can do it one of two ways. Like I'm going to pay you out up front. Or you're going to be an investor into this and like if the book gets going and published, then I'm going to pay you out based on royalties, right? Because when you make a book, there's no like, hey, good job. We're giving you a check just for giving us a great idea. All the publisher's doing is giving you an advancement on royalties. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You're, there, it's, it's more of a partnership than people realize. It's more like you're the author, they're the publisher. You guys are both riding on this being successful. They're giving you a little bump to basically say, hey, we know this is going to do good. Here's your first installment of 10,000 copies. Here's 10,000 bucks or whatever it is. So that's kind of how it works. And I think that um, with this book, again, we self-published. The reason I felt like it made sense is because Matt and I both have a social audience, so we're trying to sell it via those channels. Yes, um, if if a distributor comes along, we will sell them um, through a distributor at like a wholesale price. Um, we, we sell them at a lot of the shops that we've been going to. Like they will take a bunch of copies. Um, so you, you sell it wholesale that way. But again, um, the beauty of it is basically like all the return falls on us. So you maximize that profit. Um, you maximize creativity. You maximize yep. the ability to have it exactly how you want. But it's a lot more legwork. And I think with a project like this, unlike maybe a book that's like, you know, a surf book I've made in the past, I wanted this to be perfect. Yeah. So the CC thinks you are uh, my daughter. Sienna thinks uh, your, ch- your children's book is perfect. I love that. Tell her what's up. For she me. Lo- She's I awesome. Will. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll drag her down to the shop tonight. She, uh, she loves that book. Well, that was a, I mean, again, that was a challenging process because I've made a lot of surf photo books and it's really easy to entertain adults with like pretty pictures, but to make a book for kids where you need the message to be kind of wrapped in a beautiful package and, you know, we illustrated images to, to give, yeah. and like we added little, like a bunny here and a little thing here. So there was something for them to search out and the message has to really be distilled down. That taught me, I think more about making books and also like writing a presentation or a good talk, I guess you could say than anything else, Yeah, yeah. you know, cause it has to be applicable to adults, yep. but really get you have to, to see it through the kid's eyes as well oh, to keep dudes. them captivated. Yeah. 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 Do you, uh, have you heard of the book? Um, uh, what you do in a, what to do with an idea? No, I'd like to check um, it out. By oh, I'm totally blanking. Um, he's here in Seattle, and it's it's honestly one of my favorite books. It talks about what to do with an idea, and it talks about nurturing the idea, and it's hard, and it's oh, painful, and yeah, you struggle cool. with it. And the idea becomes bigger than you, and um, anyway, it's, right. there's so many parallels with like. And then you have to give the idea away. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you'd love it. So, uh, Matt, I'm curious. What did you learn about this? I mean, this is, is this your first? It's it's my physical yeah, my, yep. product. Yep book what did you learn in this process Whew. the whole gamut i mean i think you know going back to what chris said just the whole just the whole publishing thing right it's it's we were sort of in this funny situation where he's a publisher and a friend and a co-author all at the same time so <laughs> got in a crash course and all that but actually it's it's worked really well and one thing i've you know really appreciated about working with you is that you you put in the hard work to get this awesome audience and because of that you can self-publish. I mean, and hmm. you know, everyone yeah. can self-publish, but to yeah, do it the yeah. way that we've done here, where you bought five thousand books up front right, and right. we're on the road promoting that, like that's not something everyone can do. Right. right? And I, and and I totally and I, I just to caveat with that for I think it's important to realize like this has been a tried and tested process that I've I've done before. I've yeah. published books with big publishers and self-published, and I think that 
for anybody starting to do this process, like you don't need to start with that many copies, but right. but everybody should, and even doing a hundred, right. which is not outside of the scope, right. is totally valuable. A lot of people do self-publish, and then they they sell to a distributor, and they're good to go. Yeah, um, you know, because that's kind of the missing the missing link here, you know. But we kind of wanted to do it like this, and it's been you know it's, it's worked out pretty well. So, but back to your question, I mean, I think really the the overarching thing that I learned was just how how to create like a full a full product of of a full story right that my biggest fear was we don't talk about this in the slideshows usually but that how do you how do you write a book from a river's perspective right it, <laughs> it's, it, it could be First just jump in the river yeah, yeah. You did, it, yeah true <laughs> hopefully naked um, yeah. but it's it you know it can be that could be like pure poetry which would be cool mm -hmm. but that's not what we wanted here yeah. we wanted an actual kind of front to back story of so people could understand this this concept of this national park and, yeah. and why it was threatened and why hopefully it, it's going to be these rivers will be saved. So really just like diving in on how to relate that to an audience in a way that combined some travel, right? Like my, my physical journey there um, and those details, those kind of visceral, um, you know, pictures that hopefully people can place themselves in Iceland because of that mixed with history, mixed with the culture, you know, mixed with the environmental movement, all of it was crucial. And so finding a way to weave that all together in this in this narrative was really the biggest challenge. And not that that will necessarily yeah. be applicable to the next book I write, because it'll be different, but just sitting down with that sort of <laughs> huge question of like, yeah. how do I make this interesting? Yeah. And how do I make this a complete story that can be read front to back or that you can jump in on in the middle and not be overwhelmed? Because there, it's interspersed throughout Chris's amazing photographs, right? So yeah, that was, it's just, I guess to kind of piggyback on what you were saying for creatives, you know, just going through that process of telling a complete story, a really hard story, maybe one that you don't know a lot about yeah. and doing the research and talking to the experts and reading a ton of scientific journals. And <laughs> if you're not the <laughs> photographer that's willing to do that time, like then don't be afraid to hire somebody. Don't be afraid to reach out to a friend. Like that's a, that's yeah. a good and important thing to do is I just, I'm not a huge fan of like, you know the one-man show sort of scenario i think it i don't think it benefits and this book needed like the, the attention to detail that yeah. i just didn't have do, do you find like kind of on that note matt do you find that people i don't know if this is this is an age thing or a you know social media era thing but you know i feel like there's this tendency in our culture right now to just kind of fake it till you make it or to pretend that you know everything and there's this lack of humility mm across every like across creative across business because what, what we hammer at, at Amir is oftentimes if you don't know just say hey I actually don't know but I can get the answer for you mm -hmm. right as opposed to like let me make up something on the fly to pretend that I you know so that people think I'm smart so you know like didn't in this process it sounds like you both had to at certain times were like I don't have the answers here and I'm okay with that oh man it was I mean it's t it was terrifying every night in a slideshow <laughs> yeah I mean that too I mean I, I literally you know sitting down to write this book I didn't even know how to write an introduction I'd, and then I would write like a paragraph. Did you Google like, how to write an introduction? Because I would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just banged my head against my computer and then paced around my house probably, yeah. drank more coffee. Um, and then I would get, you know, the next paragraph. And I, I like I want to talk about the geology to give a background. I was like, well, I don't know anything about geology of Iceland. I got to research that. I got to read a book. I got to No, So I think, I mean, to your point, um, it is kind of annoying that, I mean, I guess there's something to be said for fake it till you make it because you got to present yourself yeah. in a in a confident way in some totally. regards but i think yeah. people really crave vulnerability too and, mm -hmm. and and i think 
every night when we get up and talk on this tour, like the, when we say we didn't know or we had to investigate this, we see a lot of people kind of nodding their head. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, you know what? I feel that way too with my work. Well, it's refreshing to see people, I, I think, you know, and maybe to give ourselves a little pat on the back that like, we're not afraid to, to say like, yeah, this is something we had to like spend a lot of time to figure out because we had no idea what we were talking about and still kind of don't, you know, yeah. like we're just, just trying here, you know, throwing stuff on the wall, seeing if it sticks a yeah. little bit yeah. and, and that's a big part of it. Totally. Right. right. It's a but huge part of it. It yeah. just was, it just was hard work. I think on both ends, right. You know, Chris worked on this for, sat his butt in an airplane seat for eight years and I sat mine in a, <laughs> a chair in Hawaii and we 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 made it happen and mm-hmm. i i think we feel both feel that this turned into a beautiful product and i'm sure there's some mistakes in there but yeah. we did our best to make it as accurate mm-hmm. and as formative as possible and fun right? yeah I mean, yeah totally that's the overall feeling people get absolutely i just would hope that and urge people if you're thinking about making a book if you're thinking about making a film or you're thinking about making anything that's um you know a physical or, or something people can enjoy visually like just spend the spend the time to really hone down like what your message is because the the beauty of I think any any great film project or, or book is like you should be able to tell somebody like oh this book is you know it's about advocating for a national park in Iceland through the beauty of its rivers like yeah. that's that's what it is you know and yeah. I think that that's important to distill down and if you are like well it's about this and it's about this and it's about this and you know and and that's challenging and, I, and I'm not afraid to say like even you know we've had the opportunity to have people ask us some questions at um, slideshows and people are like, well, what do you think about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't think anything about it. Cause I, I don't know about that. Yeah. You know, I don't, yeah, yeah. or I'm not educated enough to tell you, I could give you my opinion yeah. and I'd be happy to do that. But the reality is like, this is what we researched. Um, the, you know, the couple other thousand years of history that, you know, got us to this point. That's not really what this book is about. There's other books about that. So yeah, yeah. I think just, yeah, like understanding that we don't need to be everything to everybody and that's okay. And, and right. I think one I guess just overarching piece of wisdom maybe too is the idea that, um, you know, as Matt was saying earlier in this podcast and you were alluding to as well, Brian is like, man, there, there's so many issues facing the U S and our homeland and our backyards and Hawaii and America, you know, this and that, but it's not our job to honestly care about all of them. Like, and I say that in a way that maybe needs a little explanation, but you know, when I get a message from somebody be like, Chris, oh my gosh, the Brazil is burning down the rainforest, blah, blah, blah. You need to, you know, address this, blah, blah. I'm like, Hey, that's important. You're right. And I would love to, if I had a couple of weeks to research it and right. fully comprehend it and understand it, because the mm-hmm. one thing I'm not going to do is be a reactionary human yeah. being that's yeah. just going to blah, the world needs to do this. That's not true because in a week you'd be like, Oh, well that actually isn't because of climate change, but that was because of, of something different, right, right. all bad. But again, as somebody who I think anybody who has a voice that, that is, I think worth sharing a big part of that comes responsibility to educate yourself. And I would just, I wish everybody would like pick your thing. Your thing is ocean plastics. Great. If your thing is climate change. Great. If your thing is advocating for rivers in Iceland, put a hundred percent of yourself into that so that you can actually make a difference. And that's kind of what I've found is like, I don't want to just talk about every issue faced in the world. I want to, I want to buckle down, hone in on one that I think maybe I could help change policy on and see that. I mean, my lifetime to see this become a national park would be, maybe just like the most just what a legacy opening thing i mean not even for me but for the for the, the a win for the world like right. totally and that's i guess where a, i was going with that is like when you continue to grow and pass on your kids right. are gonna be like look what my dad did like yeah, he helped yeah. advocate for like they're gonna be so well, proud that's of that so cool and i think with the work that you guys have done through through mirror and stuff is like it's so spot on and i love how you've like stuck to your guns like this is we're about providing clean water and the, you know yep, yep. It's so cool and I, and I i just think brands that have that singular focus I, I and people and creatives like 
more power to them. People yeah. that just, if you try to appeal to everybody, you appeal to nobody, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it's like you, you have to be willing to piss some people off too. Yeah. If you're everything to everybody, you're nothing to nobody. Right. Exactly. Well, and yeah. if you're just, you know, if you're fighting every cause, it's exhausting. I mean, oh, I've, dude. I've been there. Yeah. I, I used to be a very reactionary, you know, in my kind of mid twenties and well, there's anything wrong with it. I think people need to go through a phase where yeah. they're super fired up about pretty much everything. And it's great yeah. to kind of bring, I think we're all getting old enough now where we yeah, understand that <laughs> the focus is really where change can happen. Well, well and I think if you have, I mean, honestly, if people have the time and they can research every subject and and go to every rally and like that is awesome that is what the world needs but i don't think that that's reality when you have kids and a job and you have to put food right. on the table and totally. and all these things and i, I want to hone in on something important and really learn as much as i can and just be educated and i think that with that education comes um comes a sense of like uh, pride in the fact that like cool like i i could stand up for this and, and feel confident. Yeah, you know? and be knowledgeable about it. Yeah. Yeah, because your point about like reactionary, I feel like this day and age, and I could be completely blown out of the water, but I feel like in this day and age, no matter what the issue is, there's mm -hmm. so many opinions and reactions and people are reactionary. Dude. And lately I've been like, I'm on multiple sides of multiple things and somebody who's blown out about this or that, I go, oh, tell me, tell me more. Yeah. And they don't know more. And it's almost kind of, a, I almost well, kind of feel embarrassed for yeah. them because it's like, well, tell me more about why you feel that way. And it's like radio silence. Well, it's the fake news epidemic. You know, that <laughs> yeah. basically it's like you hear something, it gets shared, it gets shared. How many of those people actually read what they were saying? Well, they well, and, and then research more. It just it just looks good that you're like sharing it. And even, you know, and I think that's the whole demic dynamic of like, oh, let's just pray for every country that has a huge, you know, massive like issue or failure or, yeah. or gun violence. Like yeah. that, I think that the time for praying is a little bit over. Like there should be we should kind of be advocating for change and um, and the people who are really close to these subjects need to like maybe advocate a little more. Yeah. And you could probably give more of your time to these really important subjects, but that just takes introspection and finding out what's important. And this is something that's important to us. And that's kind totally. of why we're talking about it. Last point on this kind of rant, but uh, <laughs> what, what surprised me about one of the biggest things surprised me about writing this book was how hard it is to actually get to accurate information. One, mm. So oh, I man. would, Seriously. so I would, I would, I would do some basic research to get the outline of a paragraph, let's say about like, Europe's biggest dam and like the assumptions that are in like even Icelandic newspapers, right? And then I would dig deeper on the sources for those actual facts or, or, or stats or whatever it would be. And a lot of times I came up empty and what I would see was that like 13 like other news sources would take something the Reykjavik Iceland said about um, one source about one source and it would be in 13 different uh, wow. other outlets. And so a lot of the stuff I actually ended up having to go back and rewrite because I couldn't ever find the source you're like who do i who do i credit this no to? so i had to yeah. take it out I mean, you, so, you were I mean, you were on the, fairly on like the you know you would if the number was so and so you'd be below that because you didn't want to be like you know hyping it up more so exactly I mean, like, no i was really yeah. conservative on yeah. any any sort of numbers and stats i put in here but I, but it, what it taught me was like even just and this isn't supposed to be depressing or anything but even just reading your newspaper you shouldn't assume that that is been checked by anyone to any depth because <sighs> the news gosh. cycle is so fast now especially newspaper because it's like their, their deadlines 5 p.m or their deadlines right. the yeah. next morning it's like it's maybe the most inaccurate some source of information yeah. but that well, blew, that blew me like, away that uh, really anybody did. that someone you know is ranting about this or that or you know and it's, and it's going you know left right center whatever it is i go what is what is the objective of a newspaper magazine and they're like oh to 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 tell the to tell the news and i'm like they're in business to sell ads Right. So now uh, people are right. They're not doing an inverted pyramid of actually like reporting. No, no. They're getting headlines, clickbait 
to be able to get paid, you know, and, and hopefully the model flips and people are subscribing and, you know, there's sustainable base yeah, there versus yeah. ads. But that, that to your point, sometimes you go one level down, two levels down, there's not much there. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I hope that just advocates for listening more, you yeah. know, and having conversations as opposed to being so certain when you read something that that's actually what is going on. Substance dissolves beneath the surface for sure. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in Iceland, what, uh, I mean, you touched a little bit on the status what is kind of the extraction method, you know, those on the other side, you know, what, what are they thinking at this point in Iceland? Uh, in are terms they of like, the we're not going to be able to do this or, you know, well, it's, it's, uh, you know, right now, just to give some perspective, tourism accounts for about 50% of the economy 50, and five zero five zero five zero and extractive industries are about 15%. Fishing is about 15%. And then there's kind of the rest. Yeah. Um, Banking, so, banking in there for sure yeah. and there's some yeah. startups too yeah which is, exactly which is there's another sort of cool burgeoning kind of like exactly thing, yeah yeah so your, your question was what are they thinking about the well like the anybody who's advocating general? for like you know dams or, or yeah. hydroelectric or oil, natural gas oil whatever it is are they kind of like ah oh, man we're totally out like i think they're definitely still involved in the conversation yeah. so the the most recent news we got from stainer which is you know chris chris's original contact in the environmental ministry um was that the park boundary has been basically agreed agreed to? It's it's the Highland. Mm -hmm. It's a four, yep. it's this area that's forty percent of the country. It's it's massive. It's the size of Switzerland. Wow. So it's it's going to be a huge park if it goes through. And we really think it and hope it will. Um, but they haven't determined yet exactly how the land can be used within that boundary. Got it. Will there be will there be the possibility for energy to be brought online in the future if that's deemed necessary, or will it be completely? completely protected so that's the next step in this mm. process for them and you better believe that there's uh people <laughs> pushing for the ability to to harness those rivers in the future i mean yeah. it there wouldn't be two sides if there wasn't right but yeah. um just just quickly you know 65 to 70 percent of the iceland population wants this to go through they don't mm. want to see river degradation and, and a lot of the, the public that doesn't is is also a little uneducated on the subject that's one of the, the biggest issues is there's a much like in the states, um, Matt was mentioning this earlier. It's, it's uh, there's a lot of interest groups. There's fly fishermen. There's there's four ATV, you know, right. four wheel drive clubs. There's all these groups, people, you know, um, equestrian groups. Like they all want access to these areas, and rightly so, they should. I mean, this is a lot about compromise. And so, I think one of the big issues is that they've literally been having to go to these small towns and municipalities and right. whatever they are, and basically say like, hey guys, this is. Um, what we're trying to do and uh, just so you know all the information that you've thought this was going to create or do is, is false like you're still gonna have access to all of those things so they're trying to unite all these interest groups that's is their whole new plan is like you, you see all these emblems for like all these different um, use cases and um, that's kind of been I think the struggle is just making sure everyone's educated <laughs> on like actually what what the use is and how it's all gonna break down and much like here, you know, but the beauty there is that they're, they're trying to involve everybody. It's not like, oh, well, this is forest land, so you can't do any of that, you know, much like, you know, happens in the U.S. Right, right. Yeah. I think an important note, too, on the extraction is that, like, we're, we all use aluminum. Yeah, we, we we're using it right here. We, sitting here. Yeah. We touched oh, on, the, we touched on yeah, this earlier, <laughs> and it's it's not that Icelanders don't think that, that thing is necessarily bad. It means it has to have power to make it, but they don't want the rest of their country to become an aluminum plant which right. which is it's it's a small country it's a big country but it's a small country right. and so they're saying look we have you know basically 0.1 percent of the remaining hydropower in the world if we need to make aluminum we need to make it cheaply using hydropower mm -hmm. can we please do it somewhere else because mm -hmm. this will have an actual 
significant impact on our country in our wild places and these photographs that Chris has taken yeah. and or the opportunity as well to to remove some of the dams which currently they're they're if they're going to put something up to remove it in X time too which is kind of an, another conversation um, but just you know in the US you've seen this like dam removal or dam yeah. extraction right like uh, what is the end of life plan because some of these dams quite a few of them are totally yeah. obsolete they are yeah. there, there's glacial silt is one of the most damaging right. things to dams and like right. After 20 years, they literally work at like 5%, which is the most psychotic thing ever. Yeah, we touch on that in the book. It's yeah. pretty insane. It's insane. Like, and that's crazy. That's why like up here, in, in, yeah. you know, they, they took the one down up here in Washington as yep. well because so much silt was, was right. filled into that thing. It didn't even work, right? Yeah, right. It's like Stagnant. find a better solution, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah, and all the fish are now gone. It's just oh, like a, so it's many things. Gnarly. <laughs> Talk about something happier. <laughs> Well, uh, on that note, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited for tonight. Uh, yeah, we're going to be at your flagship. Obviously, this will air after that, but um, it's been a great tour. Eight, you said eight stops on the West Coast? Yeah, it, we did ten, We did basically San Diego all the way up to Seattle. Um, I'm going to be going to Salt Lake City uh, 19th, so in two days. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I'm going to do, um, hoping Matt can join me on some of these, but have to get him out of indiana or, yeah, or yeah. maui or wherever he is yeah um uh we're gonna do um new york city which will be really fun oh red they always appreciate stuff like this which i love and um maybe boston you know denver probably um and just you know any anywhere we can it's fun to take these projects places and you know for anybody listening if you want this to come to your town it's just a matter of getting the interest you know and if there's yeah. enough people that want it we'd, we'd ring it there so yeah, that's yeah. a big part of it what's uh i mean you know for for creatives who are starting to maybe take this journey yeah what is i mean you've been around the block for a long time so you have a lot of contacts you yeah. reach out to people and they yeah. will open their doors probably but for people who are just starting do you have any advice for them on you know how they would do a book tour or how they would reach out to small shops yeah that's a great question well and you're in this situation to help answer this question but yeah. i think one of the the things that i learned early on was all of my experience was making surf films right so we were, we i'd go on these trips to the magazine we'd make a film we would come back and a lot of times these trips or films they would be in some way endorsed by a brand or something like that you know whether maybe a surf brand or you know whatever and it was only in their interest to try and tour this around or share it or if there was no brand my interest and so a lot of times it's really simple you have something to offer like if i Chris Burkhardt can can get people to X location, the brand benefits. Yeah. So the first thing you have to realize is like when you're reaching out to somebody to do something like, hey, I want to do a, a book signing, a film screening, a, a talk, a slideshow, a live podcast, whatever that is. Um, these are things that that you're doing for working backwards. Again, just a little side note. This is the most important thing. What are you hoping to gain? Are you hoping to generate an income from this? Um, are you hoping to generate awareness from this? Are you hoping to generate um, just a great working relationship with this brand you want to work with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So working backwards, figure out what you want to do, and then you reach out to a number of people for this tour. For example, I did have contacts I worked with in the past, and they knew that we would be able to draw a crowd. And so it's it's beneficial for the brand because we're going to get a couple hundred people into the space. They're going to become more aware of the brand. The brand um, wants to be a hub for community activity, the brand wants to be a hub for raising awareness for blank and blank and blank. Again, it's a really easy fit to be like, okay, let's think about this just objectively here. Like mirror is a bottle brand. They are rooted in sustainability. They bring clean water to places. We're doing a project that talks about preserving clean water in wild spaces. So yep. 
there is an automatic tie, I would be like, if I was going to reach out to like the Levi's store downtown, probably wouldn't make sense. Right. You know, it's a matter of like taking the moment to try to dive in, do a little research, maybe just Google searching, like what events have happened in, in Seattle? Where have they been? Evo would have been a great option too. Yep. We did an event at Evo in Portland. Um, you know, we, we did events at like the Rourke uh, surf shop down through Southern California. Mm-hmm. Again, they're a location that is, um, they're all about traveling and this and that and being, they've shot campaigns in Iceland. So that's kind of the first thing is just, you got to make that connection. Like who makes sense? It's not, yeah. If I was going to be like, Lululemon, do you guys want to host a, a screening? That would be excellent, but maybe not the right connection for this project. <laughs> right. And, and Mir had nothing to do with this book, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't always have to be someone who is, who, oh man, they, they paid for this or they were a part of this or they supplied pro it, That's okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things just like connecting and figuring out where sort of the, um, where the paths cross and yeah, making sure that yeah, works. Yeah. For that's sure. a big part of it. Yeah. So. And then ask, I think, yeah. Also and then ask exactly. And ask via like walking into the shop. I mean, there's nothing wrong with walking in and being like, Hey, I'd, I'm coming out with a film. I'd love to do an event here. Who'd I talk to? Or reaching out on DM. The one thing I would always say that's rad is like with social media is for young creatives. Like if you're going to email somebody or send somebody a direct message, there's nothing wrong with that. The person that you're sending a direct message to is probably sitting next to the person who the marketing director is. Totally. Or is the same person if it's a smaller brand. Yeah, right? yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that. And just being clear about what your objectives are. I'm always blown away by the amount of people that just don't ask or reach out. Because yeah. people, you know, when, when I'm speaking or whatever else, people will be like, hey, what advice do you have for me? I'm like, just ask for help. Yeah, Whether right. it's like mentors, investors, right. books, no, like totally. book signings, everything. You just, you got to throw yourself out there. Well, the and you the just only reason we three of us are here together right now is because one of my friends sent a cold email to you. Yeah. And I basically sent a cold email to you. Yeah. <laughs> And it blossomed from there. Oh, because totally. All, we, all of that is just from right. like, yeah, putting yourself on the line. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it, a lot of times it doesn't pan out, but there it, could be yeah. those one or two that then change the whole trajectory of what you're working on. But how funny is that? That like you sent a cold email to me, we had chatted for a couple months, nothing panned out. But oh, then totally. months later it was like, I reached back out to you post that job and was like, you know, and just hilarious. And right. same with, with, with Brian, we had chatted about, we had done a project at, at the flagship store for an earlier thing. And then we had talked about doing a bottle that hadn't panned out, but we like, I've always kept in touch with his, with his team and like use the products forever. It's just a funny way that all coincides. It's so. not an easy thing of advice to give. No, because you're just like, you're just like, well, put yourself out there. <laughs> but that's really the truth is like, you have to take those risks and, you know, over time, I really believe that that kind of stuff will end up connecting something. If yeah. you can stay in the game long enough, right? Well, That's well, totally. You got to think like almost everybody that works at my office, my my staff, uh, every employee except for one has been an intern. Every intern has basically just cold called my yeah. studio or sent in an application being like, hey, I'm so-and-so. I just graduated, blah, blah, or whatever. And, I, and I'm like, okay, cool. So we take them on a whim. We do our background check, yada, yada. But these are just random people. None of them was like, Oh, I'm a friends with so and so, and I worked. You know, it's like that's that's just how it kind of works. So yeah, yeah, I feel like people think there's this like mystery or there's there's industry process or you know like there's you have to do this, this, and this. And it's like no, you just gotta you just gotta canvas it. And then the ones that do stick, it's usually it usually turns out to be incredible relationships and partnerships. Absolutely. Usually, there's like a like-minded piece there, right? Mm -hmm. And here we are sitting here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Beck usually uh, ends with incredible questions, but she's not here, so I will ask them. In my Ooh. the best way <laughs> I can. So I've been um, texting her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh, we have some. Uh, we already touched on some of these though, so it's it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll just kind of ping through these. But um, I already know what you're gonna answer. But I'll ask it anyway. Is it easier to go alone or together? 
Where? Yeah. Everywhere? <laughs> yeah. Just in general. I. What's your thought? I mean, I think we might have different perspectives on this because. Well, see, I'm going to speak to this specific project. Spend a lot of time alone. Yeah, let's talk about um, the book. So I, what I appreciated about this this project together was that I think we we kind of stayed in our lanes in a way. Like mm. um, Chris has been giving me incredible freedom on this project. And more or less, like I wrote the text, you know, the way I wanted to. And he had some feedback, but it just it worked out really well that the voice that I ended up using, he supported, you know, but it wasn't like that heavy handed relationship. Right. So I thought that was pretty unique, mm-hmm. you know, for a first pro- first big project like yeah. this. So definitely together. But yeah, I mean, I as a as a creative, I draw a ton of inspiration being alone. Right. And without it, I kind of go insane. I think going a little crazy yeah. right now, man. <laughs> I think <laughs> I've been in the band with you for eight Totally. <laughs> well, t- together and alone for sure. I mean, to, to speak to that, like, I wanted Matt to have his own personal experience in Iceland. I mean, I knew that he was going to go over there by himself and have that time. And he did. He spent the greater part of, you know, a good 10 days or more or whatever just doing his own thing. And I gave him some advice and he was on his own journey. And then we came together at the end when he was there and we spent some time and, chatted with some folks and had a good had a good experience and I think that there's it's important to do both and I, I find myself absolutely like I love traveling with people my my employees my assistants um, my my family and whatnot but I also c- cultivate a lot of energy and inspiration going by myself and I think if you if you learn to rely on one too much it's a little scary yeah um, gotta have a balance there absolutely absolutely and um or just like i find myself when i get too comfortable having an assistant or this or a team or a stat whatever like i'm like ooh, i'm getting soft and then when you go alone when you <laughs> i mean soft. that's just it's the truth like You're when so i soft Chris. when i go alone for too long i'm like whoa i'm getting grisly and i'm get i'm getting a little sour here you know like yeah oh, like, oh yeah yeah you know that you guys you get oh. dark you get dark you notice all the things that you it, can't bounce it off anyone it's just all inside your head well we talked yeah. about this before like when you haven't spoken at all or to any human for a couple of days like you open your mouth and you're like, did I just forget how to communicate? Yeah. I totally do. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think that keeps you sharp. It's key. It's, it's, yeah. it's good to like, you know, hone that and have and, that balance. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Good question. Great answers. Uh, what is one belief that you hold that will never change? That's a good question. Jeez. Like mine's gravity always wins. It's just, it's not going to change. <laughs> I, I I guess I'm gonna go ahead and just say what come to mind comes to mind here. I I think there's there's so much negativity around the environment and the in the planet. I think my one truth is that I've, I've realized that through hard earned travel and introspection and seeing you know degradation and also preservation is that the planet's gonna live. It's gonna survive us, and I don't think we should not try. But it helps me sleep at night knowing that the the earth will heal if we really screw it up whether we're here or not i don't know and uh that helps me sort of just stay rooted and focus on what we can do as opposed to spun out on all the stuff that is so negative and swirling all around us all the time yeah yeah i would say anything worth pursuing is going to require us to suffer a little bit yeah i uh, lifted that from a ted talk that somebody gave and uh, (laughs) i think it's just the honest truth like that that literally is my kernel of truth that i had to think a long time on i think that um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it any other way, nor would I expect it to be any other way. I, I think that, um, the concept that, uh, ease of life is happiness is incredibly false. And I think that I, I don't necessarily seek out absolute struggle, but I seek out a lifestyle that keeps me in perspective. And, mm. and, and to me, that is a, a huge part of it is that like, 
um, I want to work hard for the things that I yeah. enjoy and I, I want to work hard for the things that I, I care about and, uh, and share, share those with the world. There's beauty in the struggle. Right. We, and you, the, the reality is if you want to be a storyteller, you got to have a story to tell and stories oh, are man. usually best created by living them and living them requires effort. Yeah. And sacrifice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well said. All right. This Beck loves this one. Don't sacrifice blank for blank. Don't sacrifice. This one's a hit. Yeah, usually when we ask people like, oh, I need a, need a minute or two on like, this one. I need like 10 minutes. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Don't sacrifice guacamole for salsa. <laughs> there you go. That <laughs> works. A pretty good that's one. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I want What's your say, answer to that, Brian? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> don't sacrifice blank for blank. Don't sacrifice quality for speed. Mm. Ooh, I like that mm, one. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're all like, I'm always like, we gotta get, we gotta get this product going. We gotta do this. And there's always, you can always, always, always cut corners. You can yeah. buy, it. you can as with a product example there's always off-the-shelf products at factories you can always just go mm-hmm. i want that one with my logo on there but to like make your own tooling refine the tooling make it exactly how you want it requires struggle you know and it you're going it's going to be a slower process there's things you can do 3d printing idea and stuff like yeah. that but every time we focus on the quality and not the speed it always turns out better i got it now you gave me enough time to all right perfect enough don't rambling. sacrifice truth for likability oh that's been a hard wah, one for me. Wah, wah, wah. And yeah, I'm still learning that lesson because I'm a Midwestern people pleaser. Yeah. So it's hard to put something out there. Yeah. Um, that's good. That's truthful. I had one and you just ruined it because now I can't think of it. <laughs> you didn't take it? I just forgot Dude, it. Dude, your guacamole one was epic. You, you got to have like, some laughs in here. Yeah. Too, you know? yeah. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think I was going to say don't sacrifice experience for travel. And, and I think mm. that needs to be refined a bit more. But ultimately, the concept that like... Um, that you can, you know, I, I meet a lot of people who are telling me how many countries they've been to and how amazing that mm-hmm. is. And I just, there's something to me that I realized early on about, I want to invest in the places that I care about and really refine and, and have these rich experiences. Yeah. And those, those are the ones that usually require you to go back to the same places over and over. And it's just, it's more of this idea of like, I want to see everything and traveling's a drug. I'm going to take it all in every little bit and all these little dopamine hits as opposed to like, I want to sit down, root myself somewhere, and just create something amazing mm. from this place. And I think those experiences that come, those are the byproducts of usually investment and time energy. Yeah. So, yeah, Agreed. well said. I've only wished I've stayed places longer, not gone to more places. That, and Same. I'm still screwing yeah. that up. I'm still I, screwing that up me all too. the time. And I'm bummed that I I've gone to so many places and just kind of had these weird experiences that almost don't mean anything right. in comparison to the ones where I like took the time mm-hmm. you know? totally great wisdom what's uh what's one piece of knowledge that you want to impart on the next generation since we're getting old mm. older i this is this is probably the most important thing that i've ever thought about um sharing with my kids is that um i i don't want to pass on any inherent fears of the unknown and that's the message that i've always shared with um with my boys and and with m- me and my wife is that like there are things that I'm afraid of and there are, there are things in my life that I'm scared of and that I've, I've had to work through and, and I've, I've put in a lot of time. And I think that one of the reasons that I've done that is because I don't want to pass on any of those fears to my children. I've seen how that's affected my wife and the anxiety that she has and myself. And, and a lot of that's 
because of my parents' own messed up things. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, what a gift we can give our kids. What a gift to not pass on an inherent fear of the unknown of something that mm. could happen, you know, and just living life in fear. The yeah. word fear is just so dangerous. And I think that that is the, that is the piece of wisdom that I want to share with anybody that's, that's raising children and or working through these things themselves is that if you can be open to experiences and not tell yourself the story, not relive the narrative right. that somebody else has imparted on you, that is incredibly freeing. That's the ultimate freedom I think you could ever offer anybody yeah. or a child. Yeah. Wow. I feel like, I feel like you might echo that Matt from the, from the Midwest. I do. I mean, I, I think I'm not a parent, but I, I, if I become one, I've thought about it a little bit. And yeah. I think that's the, that's the hardest thing is to not sort of put your stuff yeah. onto your children. Right. Yeah. It has to be, or, or your friends or your, yeah. your significant yeah. other, or whoever may be close in your life. But Cause I, mean, I feel like when you stepped off, when you moved from act Boulder to freelancing, wasn't there a bit of fear of like, what are you doing? Oh, it's been consistent throughout my whole life. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, it's uh sort of, I mean, the Midwest is amazing. There's so many values that, that I've gotten, I think mm-hmm. hopefully humility and hard work and, you know, friendliness, kindness, those swimming. sorts of things, swimming, <laughs> staring at a black, black line on the bottom <laughs> of the pool. Um, but there is definitely a fear can be of stepping outside the box. And I've continually had to kind of unlearn that process, I suppose is, is the way yeah. I think about it and, and challenge assumptions that were handed down to me, you know, whether it be through institutions or parents or friends or, just a geography that you grew yeah, up in, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, because even stepping out of this, this, the uh, Silicon Valley scene, you know, people are like, "You're going to do what? You're going to move out of startup life to go buy a van and travel around the West Coast?" Right, right. No, it definitely was like a very certain <laughs> path that I was basically forever walking away from, and that yeah. was, I mean, that's totally scary, but it, it just never felt right. So it was not scary to me, but it was it, well, not super scary. It was scary, but yeah, yeah. it was very scary to everyone around me and. You were um, less. You were less scared. Do you, I'll maybe, never forget. Maybe ten years later, it's starting to pay some dividends. <laughs> oh, but yeah. it hasn't been a quick dividends a quick and thing. relationships, if anything. Right. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I will never forget standing outside the Elbow Room, <laughs> and that we it's were a bar in the Mission District. Yeah, in in, in SF. four dollar happy hour. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we were gonna get an Uber, and I pull out my phone to grab grab an Uber, and some dude's trying to tell us he's si- he's hustling us to download the Sidecar app. Because this is like 2010, right. 11, when right. everybody's trying to get into ride sharing. This right. guy was like, no, 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 sidecar is the best. It's a safe <laughs> start, blah, blah, blah. And you and I just looked at each other. We we're like, you're like, I got to get out of this town. <laughs> I, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't my scene. I loved I loved the city. I think there's a lot of benefits of San Francisco and the culture there. But the, the frothiness over new ideas and just this incessant churn of people in and out and new companies that just i never got excited to go to a dinner party with any of these people and that's when i knew i needed to get the heck out of there that's scary yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah i think my on that i mean i'll yeah, answer yeah. the question i think yeah, it's just to, it. to to piggyback on what you're saying about kind of my upbringing and stuff it's just really challenge expectations i think it's so easy to get stuck in in what we are you know raised with or the people surrounding us our geographies and um it's so hard to sometimes listen to that internal compass, but that's, I really think that's the only way that you're going to truly find that sort of inspiration, um, and purpose for me, at least it was just continually listening to that, that guide. And it might take, you might hear it and it might take three years to listen to it, but just being true to that and hoping that things will fall into place. Yeah. It's uh, it's not, there isn't a easy, easy answer to anything. I don't believe there's all these books and stuff written about it, but it's <laughs> really just hard work and trying to listen to what 
Oh, you got a dog in your lap. Winter's crawling into Chris's lap. She's like, okay, guys, you've been yakking on for an hour and a half now. We got to wrap well, this up. This is this is fortuitous because this is uh, so good. When I was when I was young, I, I was attacked by two dogs as a kid, and dogs oh. are something I've always like feared. So are horses. So, in order to deal with that, I bought a dog and two horses. <laughs> now I just now I'm just I live in fear. <laughs> no, honestly, like that's I think that's a part of it. Like what we're talking about is the whole concept of like you have to address these things in your life, and I've done tried to do that work to like address those things because yeah. for me to like be with my kids and every time I see a dog be like eh, like that that would be terrible. That would mm. basically instill in them. Yes. You know, we like, and I'm just thinking about practical ways to actually yeah, yeah. not just say pretty words, but like deal yeah. with it. That's what I've tried to yeah, deal like, with. What's wrong with dad? Why is this? Yeah, scary? what's wrong with dad? And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. When I was like freaking fourth grade, I was walking down the street and one jumped out and grabbed me. So I'm like, okay, I got to deal with this now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your dog's epic. Gives Jeez. good kisses. Yeah. If you hear the uh, audio, the ear flapping, she just she wakes up from her nap. Massive and, ears. Yeah. So yeah, sick. Ears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, we'll jam through the last two because they're really quick. But um, John Muir. Obviously, Mir was named after John, tip of the cap to John Mir. People are always like, what does Mir stand tip for? Tip of the cap. Tip of the cap to John Mir. Uh, obviously, the mountains are calling and I must go. Mm-hmm. What is your What is your mountains? Blank is calling. What is calling? I mean, besides a book signing. In the bathroom right now. No. Getting, um, <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think, um, I think to me, the mountain, my mountains are, would just be, uh, you know, there, there are stories to be told and what I end up doing is you end up um, rationalizing every reason why you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You don't have time for this or that's mm. not going to make enough money or whatever it is. And I think um, what I've realized is that every time I've leaned into the direction of something where I'm like, you know what? I just feel compelled to do this. I feel like this is something I need to do. I, it's been beneficial always. Yeah. There's never been one thing where like this book or this film or this whatever, this business decision that's going to be totally n- not make sense. It's benefited me in some way long term. Um, and whether it's like, you know, going and making this short film that then somebody saw and then that's how that's then, you know, the TED people reached out to do a talk. And then it's because of that. I got this job because, you know, there's this there's this cycle that happens. But a lot of times it's not because of like that great, awesome, high paying job you did. It's because of something you invested in personally that was meaningful that you weren't mm. fully sure why. Yeah. You know, and that that to me is is usually my mountains it's like. I don't know, listen to the still small voice inside your head that kind of whispers that this is important. And I think being in touch with who you are and what makes your heart just like have a little skip a beat is important. Um, and, and that's really, that's really significant. And this, this book has been one of those, one of those things for sure. Like it, every time I, I see somebody excited about it, like a little hair on the back of my neck raises up and I'm like, that's, that's really powerful. It's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Similar to Chris, just really digging in on, um, expressing my truth whether that be in storytelling or in a relationship or with your family i think it's one of the hardest things to do you know those those thoughts that you have kicking around when no one's around or it's that internal monologue like you know picking out the pieces that are really important to you and and committing to them um it's hard to do i mean it's scary for me the work we did here it was scary it is scary it's getting a good reception which feels good um but it's hard to hard to put yourself out there like that. And I think the more you do it and the more you kind of push through those moments where you don't want to write or don't want to take the photo or don't want to go to the event, um, the more sort of confidence you build internally and it feels good and you can just keep getting more and more closer to to that truth. Um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a mountain to climb. 
Heck yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so we call our, we call our podcast the empowerful podcast. So empowerful is completely Sick. made up word. Um, <laughs> but it, it derives from empower and then many other words, beautiful, thankful, grateful. Uh, so we always love to hear from our guests. What does, what does empowerful mean to you? Empowerful. Well, it's the combination of two words, obviously, yeah. um, empowered and powerful, which I think, you know, is interesting because I think that the the mindset that I get behind that is like you know we we each have and need to basically um, move forward with with things that I think scare the crap out of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of morphing this into to, yeah. to my own message, but I think that's a big no, part of good. it. Is like is like you you should not only f- it's it, here's the here's the way to put it like you're taught when you give a public presentation, like the best piece of advice I've gotten is like, stand in front of the mirror, put your hands at your waist, feel like Superman, make yourself out to be a gorilla, just take up a lot of space and feel powerful, <laughs> puff your chest. And and I swear it absolutely works. There was a Ted talk about yeah, giving yeah. a talk yeah. and this was the advice and I used it and I was like, and a lot of times when I'm about to go up in front of a room and deliver something, I will be like, everybody here wants me to succeed. I'm, I, I'm telling myself that I'm empowered and I'm also feeling that way and I think that a big part of that is is starting with the internal message, mm. and to me that that's kind of I think what that means to put it into action. I yeah. guess you could say is like is like you have to believe it before you can make others believe it. Totally, that's what it means to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah people, I I feel like uh, people are like, how do I add value when I'm starting a business? But you know, it's all about adding value in your value proposition. Blah blah blah. Right. It's like jargon, and I'm and I always yeah. tell people you have to find out what you value before yeah. you add value to other people. Yeah, like or you're you're not gonna be successful. True. <laughs> That's a that's a great piece of wisdom. Yeah, you should put that in your uh, memoir. So. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, what are you doing? You want to write that? <laughs> I'm getting psyched out to answer this question right now. <laughs> these are tough ones. These ba- are good ones. Back, I love these last ones. You're 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 sick, but yeah. you're getting us. You're zingers here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't. Know, I feel like I'm a little bit of a broken record now on this, but I, you know, in powerful to me, if I'm feeling in powerful, I'm feeling like I'm I'm being honest with myself. I'm I'm expressing my truth, whether that's scary or not, and. And honestly, it's like it's it's being kind too. It's it's uh, mm-hmm. it's helping people in little ways when I can. Um, just those little moments, you have an opportunity to, you know, give back or give a tip or help someone on the street or you know maybe write a book that uh, has some small impact on a national park. Um, it feels good and it feels it feels powerful and it yeah. feels like you're more connected to not only yourself but the rest of the world. And so um, I think that's maybe you've probably already said this is a lot about what your company does, but I guess that's how I feel and powerful. That's great. Heck yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> You're that's welcome. Good questions, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm really grateful to sit down with you and finally chat. We've I had know some, it's been good. We've had some good conversations in the past. I feel like, and just, I've always really respected your business philosophy. And, and I mean, there's just something to be said for the fact that there is such a small industry in the outdoors and nobody has anything but amazing things to say about you and that's that's a that oh, should you. that should make you feel all warm and gooey inside but um <laughs> but uh but i just i really think that's the that's the truth it's like you make time you know i, I would put you up there with with you know peter deering is someone too who I, I really um um admire in terms of like somebody who takes time like you can text them they'll text you back like you're yeah. you're you run in mirror and yeah. this is your baby and yeah. it's a not a small business at all and you're taking the time to sit and talk to these two nerds about this book like that's insane <laughs> that's I, my favorite part of the job i appreciate that so much i just don't i just think it needs to be said as all. Well. oh thanks so, yeah. i appreciate it um well where can, where can be, people can find the book on your website chris yeah uh, matt's matt's website or my website um you know we, we both try and sign them when we can 
um, it's uh, yeah, we're going to probably have try and find a distributor early next year and so that um, some people can get it cheaper in Europe and places, but we ship it, both of us ship internationally right now and we'd mm-hmm. love to send one out and help uh, spread the message. And if anything, just, you know, enjoy the beautiful images and, and the stories. Yeah, they are. They are incredible. The words are beautiful. The photos are incredible. Uh, North America, it's a good time of year to cozy up next to a fire with it this is. bad boy. It's, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. it's Christmas time. So take yeah. your, by the time you hear this, you'll have all your Christmas money that your friends and family gave you. Oh, take yeah. that and put it towards this book. Yeah. It's called At Glacier's End. I don't it know is, if we have Yeah, did we even talk about the beginning? At that. Glacier's End yeah, yeah, by yeah. Chris Bricard and Matt McDonald. Yeah, exactly. Matt, what's your website? 63MPH? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know what it is, Matt has a sweet Vita bug that doesn't go faster than 63 miles per hour. Donnie, right? right? Vanagon. Vanagon. Sorry, yeah. not bug. Wow, that'd be a really small van. I literally just landed from Asia. Dude from <laughs> <laughs> 63 is on a rare day. Yeah. Downhill Tailwind. Tailwind. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yep. But Donnie, Donnie's a good one. He is. And is, is, is he on Maui still? He is. He is on yeah, Maui. Yeah, I just did a full restore this summer, which was oh, wow. sick. one of those projects that was <laughs> a come to truth moment for me. <laughs> 64 MPH. Yeah. 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 <laughs> With a little clear coat on it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> good little visor. Yeah. 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 I love it. Uh, and then Chris, Chris Bricard. Yeah, dot com. Yeah. yeah. I'm all over there. I'm awesome. all over the internet world. Yeah. You can find them online, follow along on social media. They engage, which is rad because some people just don't even respond to their I, their comments i do so. my best yeah, yeah y'all are, love are that killing that so thanks for sitting down today great thank you great thank combo. you so much for having us yeah, yeah it's it been so good. fun awesome all right Cheers. all right thanks everyone long try thanks for tuning in we will see you on the next episode